0: Hi, I'm Susan Moore, Community Engagement Manager with IIBA.
1: And I'm Scott Bennett, Manager of Business Analysis with the International Institute of Business Analysis.
0: And this is Business Analysis Live.
1: Today, we're going to talk about effective listening skills.
0: This is the bread and butter of what we do. You know, I always talk about business analysis as being a relationship business and key to, to that is being able to listen really well. And um, I know we've had, um, we've had lots of discussions internally about what it means to be a good listener. And so I'm, I'm excited that we're gonna talk about this today. And then I think we're gonna talk about some techniques, just some things that maybe you didn't think about when it comes to uh, the importance of listening as a business analysis professional.
1: Yeah, that's a good conversation, good intro. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. And speaking of listening, we're live right now. So if we make a mistake, you're going to hear it. But (laughs) part of the reason that we do these lives is so we can take your questions. So please drop your questions in. We're going to take them live as we go here. And hopefully we can hit all those questions. So Susan, where should we start?
0: Oh, my gosh. Well, you know, the first thing that I did when we put this topic on uh, on the agenda was to go to the BABOK guide. So that's the business analysis body of knowledge and uh, to see, well, what do we have to say about listening skills? And in fact, under communications, which is an underlying competency, there is listening. Uh, For those of you following at home, get your BABOK guide out now. It's 9.4.4. (laughs) <laughs> um, and um, I'll just give you a little sense of, of what um, what the BABOT guide says about that. So it's not just hearing the words, but understanding their meaning and context. So listen is, listening is really a higher skill. It is not that just hearing to write something down, but it's hearing to comprehend. And then accurately understanding what is being communicated. But also, you want to be able to, dis- to demonstrate that you understand what the speaker is saying and that you understand that it's important. So, um, so that's it. They say measure the measures of effective listening include giving the speaker your undivided attention, acknowledging the speaker with verbal or nonverbal encouragement. And that's a big part of listening. I know we're going to talk about the nonverbal stuff today as well, providing feedback, asking questions, you know, when it's appropriate. And then I think this is really important using acting. Active listening skills by deferring your judgment, maybe not offering solutions right away, and then responding appropriately. So that's that's what's uh, that's what's going on in the Babock Guide. So
1: yeah, one phrase that I often think about about listening skills is that idea of listening to understand instead of listening to respond. And if you've never heard that phrase before, when you're listening to respond, you're basically taking snippets, but you're formulating in your head what am I going to say because I want to get this out, you're stuck in your own head versus really giving that person your undivided attention and listening to understand what they're saying to you. Um, so if, if you've never thought about that before, think about it next time you're having a conversation, maybe around the dinner table or with a friend, um, think to understand versus respond.
0: I think that's a that's a great point. Uh, sometimes as business analysis professionals, we are a little bit hardwired to think about solving that problem. But sometimes the conversations that you might be having with a stakeholder, they could involve facts, but there could be something more just under the surface. So I, I always think about when I'm I'm talking with someone, I'm I'm kind of listening on a couple of different levels. So I'm thinking first, am I listening, am I listening or am I hearing them talk about facts? Um, and if it's facts that I'm getting, then I wanna make sure that I'm i am um, I'm paraphrasing, that I'm asking questions. Again, I'm, I'm not trying to solve, but I'm really trying to understand what they're describing to me. But sometimes just under the surface, they might unintentionally be expressing other things. Sometimes they might be pain points, sometimes they might be feelings about a particular situation. And if I think that what I'm hearing is feelings I listen in a different way and I give them a little more space to express that and um, maybe don't, don't try to share or don't try to paraphrase, but just react appropriately. And that's where that nonverbal um, body language, I think, is really important yeah. to make sure that that person knows you're hearing them.
1: Yeah. And that nonverbal communication has become difficult in the last couple of years with so many people working virtual. Um, I think part of listening skills, you're right. It, it's that nonverbal and, and we internally have, um, a, a guide for our meetings that we always have our videos on. Um, that way we can see each other. We can react to it. And it really helped. Um, I facilitated a session, uh, just ad hoc last week and it was our IT team. Everyone's on the screen and I did a brainstorming exercise. We only had 15 minutes. So we quickly went through, here are all the ideas. And then I was trying to figure out, how do I get people to vote on these? And so I figured out very quickly, oh, I'll just get people to raise their hand. So I say, okay, this one, how many? And I just looked at the screen and I could see the hands. Um, so video is a really important way right now in, in where we are in, in our work environments um, to facilitate that nonverbal communication. and. Getting an idea of if people are cluing in, you know, if someone's got a puzzled look on their face or they're multitasking, they're doing something, they're looking over on the side, um, can really help in terms of making sure your message is getting across. I remember, I think it was about five years ago, um, I was in a meeting and there was this one person that seemed always distracted. And as a facilitator of the meeting, I didn't want to call them out in a rude way. To say, hey, you shouldn't be doing that. Um, so I very tactfully, you know, asked if there was something that they needed to go do. Um, so you know, making sure you've got engagement, um, I think is part of that.
0: It, it's true. I think this, all of these um, these virtual tools that we use, the way that everything now uh, is digital communication for many of us, um, you do have to be more conscious of. What you are putting out into the virtual world, because you know, if we were sitting in a room, I'm a note taker. Um, that's just that's my thing, and so I tend to sit a lot like this in meetings, which can be read as uh, not engaged. If we were in a room together, you would clearly see I am I'm taking notes. So if you are also a note taker um, and you're leading a meeting or you're listening to a stakeholder. Just having some self-awareness to make sure that that you look up every once in a while, make eye contact with the camera, which I know is so weird, but you really want to be able to simulate that you are listening. And so if you would do it in a room with somebody like making eye contact or shaking your head or I do this a lot, by the way, I don't know what that is. That's my thinking. That's my thinking pose. (laughs) Sometimes you might even just say, hey, I'm going to take some notes and I hope that's okay." While we're doing this, sometimes you have to say it out loud because they can't see your workspace. You really do have to be very intentional um, with those behaviors because you do want to make sure that people know that you're listening to them.
1: That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Another listening technique um, is paraphrasing. So if Susan and I are talking and Susan explaining something to me, what I can do is paraphrase it and say, well, let me play it back to you in my own words to make sure I understand what you're saying. And then it gives Susan an opportunity to correct me where I misunderstood something or to elaborate on something I might've missed. So think about that too, as paraphrasing to make sure you're checking your understanding.
0: And sometimes that can take some courage. Um, mm-hmm. you know, we've talked about that if you're, uh, if you're working in a domain or you're working with, um, with folks that maybe you don't know, and, um, you know, it takes some courage to say, Hey, I, I just want to say this back to make sure that I have it. That can take courage, but also saying it back can take courage. And I, I always try to find the humor in myself when I, when I, especially if I screw up in public. Um, but I think it makes us more human. Again, this whole virtual communication stuff—we don't want to lose our sense of humanity. We're humans doing human things, and sometimes we don't always get it right. Yeah. But, um, but when you can paraphrase. And, and look, I, I was telling Scott earlier, I sometimes I'll paraphrase, I'll get my words all mixed up. And then I'll say, uh, Yeah, I don't think I get it at all. Can we start over? Can we start from here? That takes courage. But but honestly, I think that can help the conversation um, in a in a really good way.
1: Yeah. I want to share a story with you. When I was early in my career, I was, I would say, maybe 25 years old, uh, working environment in, in a big bank where most of the people I worked with were twice my age, literally, um, some of them close to retirement. Um, so it was an intimidating environment as someone, you know, a new graduate working in. Um, I got feedback uh, from my performance that I was overusing my listening skills. And this was from someone with an HR background. And I said, overusing, I didn't think you could overuse a skill. I knew I was good at listening, but I didn't know I could overuse it. What The way it was described to me was, Scott, you've got some great ideas, but you don't share them. So I was really good at the listening part, but I wasn't good at the sharing my thoughts and insights because I, I felt intimidated in that environment. It took some coaxing over months for me to get more comfortable with that, Um but uh, that was an idea of a skill being overutilized. I didn't know that that was possible until then.
0: You know, and I I think it's a great example of, we, we often think of listening as simply a passive skill, right? I'm, there are words being said, they are coming into my ears, done. I have listened. But in fact, active listening involves hearing what's being said, being able to comprehend it, give, uh, give indications that you are understanding and being able to ask some questions to interact with the person that you, that you, um, that you are interviewing. So, you know, that's why we kind of talk about these other things around listening. It's not, it's not just words and ears. Um, and just a reminder, Hey, this is live. It's just me and Scott, but we're interested in your questions. What, quest, what do you want to know about listening? Do you have some great stories of listening um, Listening uh, things you've done well? Maybe some things that didn't go well because you didn't, <laughs> you didn't listen well. Yeah. Um, you know, I've got a story to tell, um, and this is about um, being equitable in our listening, and it's also a facilitation skill as well but um, I've worked in an environment where we had a couple of really big personalities who dominated a lot of the conversations because they were the loudest voice in the room and they really didn't give other people the opportunity to speak but this one colleague I had she was super sharp and just had fantastic insights and I knew whenever she had something to say we needed to listen to her and I could always tell because she would breathe in a certain way. And I could hear it through my headset. And so once I could find a way for these other big voices to quiet down, I would say, hey, Mary, um, I just did you want to offer up something here? And that would give her an opportunity to speak. So that's, I think, sort of a nonverbal thing. Maybe it's kind of a verbal thing. But I think it goes to reading the room, right? If I were in the room with her, I might see that, that she was really engaged, maybe made eye contact with me. So you do have to figure out what are the ways that you can read the room so that you can make the conversations equitable for everybody, everybody gets a, a seat at the table, as they say.
1: Yeah, and speaking of reading the room, that's something I really miss by working in a virtual environment um, the BBC conference is coming up in three weeks. And I'm really looking forward to going to that because it's going to be the first time in over three years, I'm speaking to a group of people in a room. Um, and when we do presentations virtually, you don't get to see people's eyes of whether they're glossing over from boredom or they're on the edge of their seat or whether they have a puzzled look on their face. I really miss that interaction to be able to read and respond to that. Um, I I guess, That's a little bit of um, EQ, right? That's a part of listening skills is you need some emotional intelligence um, to to be able to read what's going on. So you being able to read the inhalation of someone Mm -hmm. getting ready to say something, but people keep talking, um, that's really perceptive and, and important to help make sure you get all that you can out of the group you're working with.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's also just getting to know the people that you work with uh, as well and getting to know their communication styles. I know we've had a a couple of speakers doing member webinars recently, and they have talked about communication skills that will make the difference as you are moving up that business analysis career ladder and things like communication skills, but also EQ, being uh, building relationships, building trust, all of those things can help you. That's the differentiator if you if you wanna move up. Okay, so we finally have some questions, but the first question, I don't know, I'm gonna ask you this question and it's literally a question for you. Scott, does Susan correct your understanding often?
1: Does she correct my understanding often? <laughs> um, Susan and I have a great working relationship. We're both um, entrepreneurial, so creative thinkers. You know, Susan, Susan has a film background. I've got a woodworking background. So we tend to gel a lot in terms of the conversations we have. Um, I would say, yes, Susan's corrected my understanding sometimes, um, but it, it's never in a negative way. It's, oh, I heard you say this, but you know... Sort of doing it that way um, so when you're communicating i think it's important that you do it in a, a, a respectful collaborative way uh, versus saying oh you're wrong um so it's it's um i guess important to sort of understand where they're coming from and and move with the flow
0: yeah that's that's a great point you have cor- you have corrected my understanding of things especially as we've been doing a dot a lot of data analytics work here that's not um, a space that i've worked a lot in. And so I've had questions. I've probably asked some dumb questions, maybe sometimes intentionally, but that's the way I'm going to grow. So I never take yeah. it as, um, as conflict. I take it as, Hey, you're, you're helping me to fill a gap that I didn't have, or I didn't know I had.
1: And, and sometimes right. it might not be correct or incorrect. It could be a different perspective, right? Yeah. You get different perspectives on things. It gives you a better understanding.
0: Great point. All right. This next question is also a really good one. Do you have any tips on listening effectively when you have stakeholders that don't have adequate English language skills? I think this is great because we are becoming more global. So many companies are working with people all over the world. Um, you know, one of the things I think about, so I think about when I'm, when I'm talking with someone who, who may have a working uh, knowledge of the English language, I make sure I do what I can to control how I speak so that I can be heard correctly. Now, I'm from the American South. We are known for our southern accents, which I will not demonstrate for you now. Well, oh, come on. <laughs> hey, y'all. You know, we talk like that stuff. So, um, <laughs> um, But anyway, I save that for my family. Um, But I'm aware that because of the way that uh, we shorten words and we extend vowel sounds, it sometimes can be difficult to understand me. So I try to make sure that I speak with a more neutral accent um, and that I'm so, so that I can be heard. The other thing I do, and it's this headset, which I know. Um, makes me look a little—I don't know—like uh, Britney Spears, like I'm some kind of you know rock star. But for me, the reason that I use this particular headset is because of this directional microphone. Because um, when it's it's right in front of my mouth, you can hear it. You can hear anything around me. I hope, um, but you can hear my words, and I, I try to make sure that I enunciate clearly. Um, so those are the things that I do. I I don't know. Do you have any tips on? Um, working with folks that maybe have a working knowledge of English?
1: I do from personal experience, um, using video, I find helps. So uh, Mm -hmm. I'm going to flip the tables a little bit. When I work with people that have strong accents, um, I've learned that communicating over video makes it easier for me. Now I have an OMA had an OMA and OPA, they're Dutch with extremely thick accents. And I didn't realize I had this ability to understand them so well until I got into the working environment where I was working with people with accents. And I found that when I talked to someone one-on-one, I could understand them, not a problem. But when they were on the phone and I couldn't see them, Mm -hmm. it seemed like the accent was twice as strong and I had a harder time listening. So for me, what I've learned in real life is just video helps that communication.
0: Yeah. And, and I also think so going back to what we were talking about before, um, sometimes if, if they um, if if somebody says something and you just don't understand it or they don't understand you ask, just yeah. confirm what you've heard, paraphrase it. And I, I think that's the best that you can do. And also remember that you're human and, you know, use use humor when it's appropriate, um, because. We, we got to maybe not always take ourselves so seriously. All right, next question. How do we know what is the right amount uh, for active listening, like paraphrasing? I don't want to interrupt someone all the time. That's that's a really great point. Um, y- you know, uh, there. okay, here's one of my pet peeves. Um, people that listen and they make this noise, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh and they keep doing it while you're talking and you're like, okay, I don't think you're listening anymore (laughs) because that's not helping. So I do think you, you know, you want to look for those natural breaks in conversation, or at least that's what I do. Or if we're using video, someone might see that I, that I, that I have a look on my face. Uh, I might raise my hand in person or in video um, to let somebody know, hey, um, I think I'd like to ask you a question, but it really is about not just interjecting to interject, but you know, do it with a purpose so that it's, um, so that the other person understands that, that y- y- you're, you're taking in the information and you're ready to, to kind of put it together with their help.
1: Yeah, that, uh, the question that includes uh, um, not over paraphrasing, I have been caught doing that before. There was a gentleman I used to work with and it was a director and, and he was a manager level and I would paraphrase with her to make sure I understood, but I noticed it actually upset him a little bit. Like it was like, oh, we're hearing it again. Like you're just reiterating what I'm saying. I realized it was just EQ. I realized I was overusing that. Um, so I cut it back. Um, I th- This is an art. It is not a science. Um, it's going to work more with some people, not with others. Um, I guess the key thing would be, don't be annoying with it, um, but do it enough that you're getting the clarification that you need. So if if you if there's a new concept, something you need to understand, paraphrasing is good. But if it's just a regular conversation, probably not needed.
0: I'm thinking there's probably a guideline here. Like if you are the listener and you think it's it's annoying, it's annoying. But also make sure you're looking you're looking for the nonverbal cues from the person that is that is speaking so that you can determine if they think it's annoying too. You're right, it's an art. And I think the more that you communicate, the more you figure out your style and the more that you figure out the communication styles of, of folks around you. Um, I think it's just one of those things you've got to practice a lot um, yeah. to, to do. So our next question here, what's appro- what is the appropriate way of handling a situation where someone constantly talks over you? Um, yeah, I've uh, I've worked in a couple of those situations. Um (laughs) Um.
1: I I think that's where you you need to be. And it does take, as you mentioned before, courage. It does take some courage to say, um, in a non-confrontational way. Um, you know, I'd like to finish my thought and and get your reaction after that. Um it 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 really is doing it in a tactful way where you're not being confrontational saying, stop talking, I'm talking. You know, it's it's easy to do that and get frustrated. Um, but more so, fostering good communication in a respectful way.
0: You know, and and sometimes you you find that moment maybe after the conversation has moved on. Maybe maybe there's suddenly a lull where you can get your uh, piece in, and and when you do, you can simply say, "Hey, I, I want to go back to something that we were just talking about. I, I've got a point that I want to make," um, and then say it. I still think it can be powerful. Sometimes you are just dealing with a really tough personality, and um, if you're able to handle it gracefully in uh, in a group setting, that's great. Um, sometimes you might have to take it, you know, one on one and just say, you know, I really uh, I, I, I'd really like to be able to contribute to the conversation. I, I sometimes find it challenging. How can we do that uh, together so that you can make it both something that the two of you do? Um, But that but that's a tough one, because sometimes it's um, sometimes you can have a culture of that as well, where that is the way that people communicate. And that can be a really tough, tough thing to um, to work through when it's just how people how people talk. Uh, Sometimes what I have found is that you just have to kind of let them run the way they're going to run, and then you might have to go back afterwards and just have individual conversations. It kind of stinks. Next question, I'm often listening to respond. How do we change that automated mode to listening to understand?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. It is tough, um, and it it just comes with practice. Um, In terms of listening to respond, so there are two different personality types. There's introverts and extroverts. An introvert typically thinks out the answer before beginning to speak, Whereas an extrovert will start speaking and they'll work out the answer as they're speaking. So uh, I'm an introvert and I find that because I'm in my head a lot, I can get caught in that cycle of listening to respond. But what I find is if I take a breath and just sit back and focus on the person, um, that helps correct it. But it has to be an intentional action. It's it's not going to automatically happen for you. So it's one of those things, maybe put a post-it note in your monitor, um, you know, a reminder every once in a while that, you know, think to understand.
0: You know, Ryland Layton, um, he came and did a talk on the consultative mindset a few weeks ago and he showed us a, a board, a little um, um, board that he's got over his desk and he had some some post-it notes and he said, sometimes I get Feedback for things that I could be doing differently or or better, and I post it there. It's right within eyesight, and it just reminds me that I need to do that. So I think that's that's um, just a great reminder. Again, with anything communication related, you know, you can't just go to a class and learn this and then be awesome at it uh, back in at your desk. You have to practice it. You're going to make mistakes. Again, right. you're human. It's it's okay. Um, but the more that you do it, you'll find the better that that you get with um, with changing that mindset from listening to respond or listening to solve to really listening to understand. So- um, well, I'm gonna ask
1: you a question, Susan. Um, yes. What type of tips would you give someone with learning um, listening skills? Like where can someone go to learn more or resources to help them?
0: Oh, that's- um, Okay, you totally put me on the spot. What am okay, I supposed- I've got two. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs>
1: um, so for those of you who've listened to our LinkedIn Lives before, a couple of times we've talked about communication skills and Toastmasters. Um, I've right. gone through the, the program. I'm a, a certified Toastmaster. Um, in the Toastmaster program, part of what you're doing is you're providing feedback to the speaker. So you're actually working on your listening skills and giving feedback. So it's a good forum to be able to practice that. The other thing I would suggest is find a couple of people that you work with regularly that you're comfortable with and sit down and say, hey, I'd like to talk about listening skills. This is what they are. Can you tell me your perception of how I listen? So a couple of ways that you can sort of get some tips and and get a read on how you're doing.
0: Those are great. I thought you wanted me maybe to plug my book on virtual communication. So yes, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) it's not out yet. So I'll come back and talk about that. But I, but I I think those are great things. I hadn't even considered Toastmasters, but you're, you're 100% correct. I think Toastmasters is a great way um, because like I said, listening isn't just passive, it's active. And uh, Toastmasters, I think does a really great job. I did Toastmasters when I was like 12 or 13. And I can't tell you the confidence that it gave me as kind of a nerdy introverted kid Um, To be able to stand up and speak, it was really helpful. And I also had a little bit of a speech impediment growing up and was a little self-conscious about it. And so it was a great way to build confidence. So,
1: Yeah, for sure. When I started my career, I was 23 working at a big bank and I found I was standing around talking to two colleagues and my hands were shaking and I thought, I've got to do something about this. Mm -hmm. Luckily, my manager was the president of the local Toastmasters club in the work environment. So she invited me to join, and, and I didn't. Wow, did it ever make a difference, especially in our career, being able to communicate well and speak well? Um, big game changer for business analysis.
0: It is. You know, some of the IIBA chapters partner with local Toastmasters organizations, and so when you're, um, if, when you're um, a member of that chapter, um, and everybody that is an IIBA member gets to be a member of a chapter, it's part of the membership, um, you can you can participate in those Toastmaster things. It is a it is a fantastic organization and I think it can help you overcome uh, some of the confidence issues, some of the imposter syndrome issues that we might face when we're standing up and, and having to talk to people we don't know a lot. Yeah, That's
1: for sure.
0: Um, next question, how does differing accents impact one ability to listen and comprehend? So we, we talked about listening um, when you're working with someone who may have a working lang- uh, working understanding of English language or whatever the language is that, um, that you're working in. But this one is, does that, could that accent impact your ability to comprehend?
1: I'll give you an example. Um, as a Canadian, apparently I say about differently than other people do. Um, and I, I do YouTube videos on woodworking. And another similar word is router. And so I've had people comment, Scott, why are you calling it a router? I'm not, I'm calling it a router, but apparently that's my accent. I'm using a totally different word to describe a tool.
0: (laughs) That's Yeah. That's a really great point. Um, (laughs) We've got, we've got a couple of French speakers uh, on our staff. And I was talking about some work that we were doing here on our foyer and they were like, "Uh, what, (laughs) You know, that thing that's inside the front door and they're like, a foyer? I'm like, yeah, not not in the South, it isn't. So I think that's, you know, how you pronounce a word can be, it, I think it can impact. You know, I gotta tell you another funny story. I was working um, with a team lead who was based in India and she would she would sometimes throw in these um, English sayings, you know, so, so we would talk about, we worked so closely that we were partners in crime, right? But she would always say that we're crime partners. And I thought, okay, that is a different thing. <laughs> <laughs> crime partners? No. Partners in crime, that's good. You know So I think I think if you if you don't understand, um, so if someone is saying router and you think they mean router, I think you have to ask so, So I just want to make sure we're talking about router um, just to be clear. And yeah, maybe you can have a good laugh. Maybe the other person doesn't know, but um, yeah, if you are not sure that you are understanding because of the way that a word is being pronounced, ask, ask to to clarify your understanding.
1: Yeah. And I think, um, you know, the idioms that you mentioned that, you know, someone gets wrong or incorrect. If we communicate a lot in idioms, we can give people misunderstandings. Um, It's, you know, if you overuse them, you know, we let's wrap it up or, um, let's play ball or that type of stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. it can introduce confusion. So maybe avoiding that type of thing and culture, I think also plays an important part in communication. Um, Mm -hmm. some people, and and I'm not that experienced, I'm working Toronto, quite diverse. Um, but people around the world, have different communication cultures. I've heard recently someone saying, you know, in a meeting with um, people that are Japanese, um, the culture is that the most senior person will speak. And the the more junior people will not speak unless it's necessarily someone else has spoken first. So there are Mm -hmm. some cultural things as well to be sensitive to uh, when you're working in a multicultural environment. Mm,
0: That's a good point. So I do think it helps to just be aware of of the culture, you know, before I was talking culture and meaning organizational culture, but there is also just the culture of the folks where uh, where they are working also uh, might might impact that. Okay. Oh, so we just got we got more. We have more questions. Um, What's your view on recording meetings for replay? I will. I'll give you my two cents on that. Speaking of idioms, um, so my my feeling on that is um, many times we record meetings and we don't always have a great a great reason. Um, I think sometimes that can be a little intimidating. So I do think you have to pick what kinds of meetings you're going to record because some people can see that as um, well. You're just trying to you're trying to you know, get something on me and be able to, you know, play it back for others. So I think that when you um, when you record those meetings, you first want to ask permission. Um, Is it okay if we record or if somebody has said they won't be able to be there, then say Mary has said that she can't attend today. So I'm going to record this meeting if everybody is good. You know, you you guys will notice these days that Zoom and some of the other um, meeting platforms, they now have a little message that comes up and say, the meeting is in progress or the meeting is being recorded. I, I think that's important.
1: Yeah. Two types of meetings that I like recordings for one is training sessions. So maybe it's two hours long training on a financial system, record it. People can go back and check it out. Very useful. The other one is our staff meetings that we have here at IIBA on a monthly basis are recorded. I recently missed one. So I was able to play it um, and not only play it, but I played it at one and a half times the speed so I can get through mm-hmm. it faster Still was able to comprehend it all, but I was able to condense it. Um, So that's where I see the value. I I wouldn't record every single meeting. I just, I wouldn't have the use for it.
0: Yeah. And if, and if people aren't going to watch it, save, save yourself, Uh, just take good notes um, and share those sometimes just having that ability to distill it down, put it into a Slack channel or something like that. Maybe all that anyone really needs. Ooh, let's take, let's take maybe a couple more questions here. Um, Okay. Um, when I see someone from my team deviating from the topic or about to say something wrong in a client meeting, I try to cover it up. This caused one of the members of the teams to say that I overshadow uh, everyone. Do you think I shouldn't do this? I just try to cover up issues that might be caused by their miscommunication. That's a really good question.
1: It is. Uh, I I think the first question I would have is what's the culture like in the organization? Mm-hmm. Um, so this could be behavior of trying to be very controlling. It could be trying to protect people. Um, but if it's an open culture, I'd say, let it go. Um, and, and, people learn from that, you know, there is value in people making mistakes and learning from those mistakes and correcting them. Um, I once created a budget with a project manager and we said, Hey, this project's going to be a million and we forgot to add tax to it. And we later had Ooh. to go to the <clears throat> SVP and say, oops, we're off by 15%. Oops. <laughs> um, so there is value in people making mistakes, but I, I would look at the culture and is that something that's acceptable or just why it is that you're jumping in there?
0: I, I have worked in um, some environments really early in my career where control of communication was part of the culture. And it was a big red flag um, because it it led us to having to craft messages for certain audiences to say certain things. And ultimately it really damaged trust. Um, It it, and I think they were doing it because there was uh, there was going to be some budget cuts and some layoffs and some things like that. Ultimately that's where all of this led. Mm. But I think it created a culture of mistrust. So I agree with you. If if it is because you've got some junior folks and maybe they aren't saying things quite the right way, I would say work with them initially to help them craft the language going into the meeting. Let them say what they're gonna say and don't especially don't cut them off in public because it it can look bad on you if you are saying, oh, don't say that or nope, let me, I just, we're gonna just we're gonna say something else. We're gonna move on. It can be very disruptive. Disruptive and distracting um, to the folks in the room, and and if there are coaching opportunities after, then coach. But let those uh, let those folks um, say what they need to say. So,
1: yeah, again, and I'll just add in something real quick. It can also be yeah. very demotiv- or demotivating for mm-hmm. the person that you're cutting off. So it could impact your culture.
0: Yeah, it really could. Okie doke. Uh, next question. I often come across a situation where I'm not sure whether the listener has understood the intent of my message that I communicated. So how do I make sure they listened to me and understood the intent that I provided in their, in the communication?
1: That's good, give them a test.
0: <laughs> Pop quiz, always good.
1: Yeah, when you're done say, okay, now play that back to me. What did you hear? Um, it, there's, there's no problem putting someone on the spot. It will very quickly reveal where the gaps are.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's right. And I think you can do it in a way that is, um, not demeaning or demoralizing but you can but you know sometimes we tend to use those phrases at the end of the sentence like does that make sense or you know what do you think and and really I think you can ask a better question um, around hey okay so let's you know you know now you say that back in in your words what what did you hear because it sometimes can illustrate that maybe you didn't get it right either so um, so practice you know practice what that is to to check their understanding
1: that's right checking their understanding i agree with you totally uh yes no is not what you're looking for there Um, it's easy for someone to say yeah i get it but they're really confused so open-ended question tell me what that means to you is that like that type of thing
0: yeah open-ended question i think is the way to go on that one how do you manage to keep actively listening when you're in a long meeting i found (laughs) i feel like i listen but i'm actually not it's not going into my brain (laughs) um yeah yeah we've all been there we're sorry
1: (laughs) i don't know if there is an answer to that maybe if you find yourself not paying attention maybe write down what you're hearing to get your brain activated in a different way Uh, human brains um especially adult brains need different stimulation to keep focus um i learned that when i was learning how to teach at college um, it's it's movement. It's, it's it's different stimulation. So maybe you just need to. I'm not going to say that. Maybe you need to do something different to engage your brain in a different way. Sorry, I was about to go somewhere really wrong, but we're live. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a completely different answer. Maybe yeah. you don't need to be in those meetings. Um, if these oh. are really long meetings where you are not actively part of the conversation or you are not uh, needed for your expertise or experience, perhaps you don't need to be there. And so p- perhaps what you could do in lieu of that is ask the person who's invited you to the meeting, um, why do wh- what what do you need of me in this meeting? And if they really can't articulate it, you can say, can you send me the notes? Can you send me the recording? Uh. Because then you have to listen to that long meeting, right? But but there are ways that you can engage that meeting organizer to say, hey, you know, if I'm just there to observe, I, I've got some things to do, so maybe this is not the meeting for me. How about that?
1: Yeah, I like it.
0: <laughs> okay, maybe one more, um, and then we'll wrap it up. Um, let's see. I, I have a question. What is the best practice to handle a situation where you're stuck on some technical knowledge and you're not aware of what the best practice is to answer such questions? Um, I, don't, I don't want to come across to the client as a business analyst who doesn't have enough knowledge. Ah, okay. Also, how to communicate denials to clients. Okay. So I'm hearing two things. One sounds a little bit like imposter syndrome, kind of what we were talking about a little bit earlier. What happens when I am in a situation where I'm not really, I don't feel like I have all the knowledge that I need to have. Maybe we tackle that one first. Um, again, I think you it takes courage, but I do think you have to sometimes say, uh, hey, can we um, let me just uh, let me just say this back to you to make sure that I'm understanding, um, and then say it, and then have have the speaker help you with that. Sometimes our speakers start in the middle or they start at the end of whatever they're going to talk about. They don't always think I might need to go back to the beginning. But there's a lot of value that can come when we get somebody to take it from the top, as it were. That's a dance metaphor, by the way. Um, if we could take it from the top, it's also a music metaphor. Um, but, but sometimes people that are really experienced don't often realize that they can go all the way to the beginning, and you will find that you can have really powerful conversations because some things that they assume to be true, in fact, are not. It's a great way to um, to actually kind of uh, uh, um, get a new perspective on things. That last one there, how to communicate denials. Oh, actually, what do you have to add to that one?
1: Yeah, I was just going to say uh, my advice is don't bluff your way through it. Oh, um, yeah. If you don't know the topic enough, you cannot bluff your way through it and you're going to end up tarnishing your own reputation. So if, if you need more knowledge and you need to go somewhere else to get it and say, Hey, let's wrap up this conversation. I need to do a little bit more research, be open and honest. Um, you, yes, you're going to come across where you don't have enough knowledge, but if you commit to, Hey, you know what? I need a little more background here. So I'm going to do some research. I think that comes off more credible for you than if you try to bluff.
0: Yeah. The old fake it till you make it doesn't always work in business analysis. Yeah. That last part of the question was how to communicate denials to clients. Uh, you know, I think you've got to be, you've got to be honest. You've got to be diplomatic. Um, that it, it can be a tough one, but uh, you can really build trust here. So if this this is someone that you've built trust with, you'll find that those denials can be easier because you can have a real conversation. They can be challenging when you don't know somebody, but I think, Honesty, get to the point, be diplomatic, probably the best way.
1: I'm going to be honest here. I don't know what you mean by communicate denials.
0: I'm, I'm going to, I am going to indicate that maybe this is, um, you know, we're not going to take a project on or oh, okay. no thanks. We're going to pass on hiring somebody, something like that. Okay. Yeah. It can be a, a really crummy situation to be in, to have to give that kind of news. Um, But honesty is the best way to do it in practice, really. Practice is the best. You just got to do it.
1: Yeah. Speaking of practice, we have uh, BBC coming up in three weeks, which is a networking thing. Um, Honestly, I'm an introvert and networking has not come easily. Um, So we've got uh, two weeks from now, an interesting topic that I think will help those of you out there who are maybe shy about networking or might be an introvert, right?
0: I'm also an introvert, fun fact, Um, maybe it doesn't always seem like it, but Suzanne Ricci, she is an IT career coach. Um, She is going to come talk with us to give us tips for networking for introverts. So if that sounds like you, join us. We want to thank everybody for joining us today. It has been another lively conversation. We will see you in two weeks. Have a great day. This is the end of our live session, but if you've got questions, you can send us an email at live at IIBA.org, or leave us a voice message and we'll answer your question at one of our upcoming broadcasts. Join us.